0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Hey, let me start just by saying um, just a massive um, thank you. Um, just, just for the kindness and the response and the comments over the week of um, just us landing here in our role here at the church, we've just been so um, loved and well-received, and that means so much to Kara and I um, that we just can't even articulate it. So thank you very much. No one made us a cake, so a little disappointed about that. Um, but appreciate everything else. Um, you guys have been just amazing. So um, I do want to pray um, because I do need the Lord's help this morning. I'm going to throw out just some thoughts here that I'm not sure go together, so we'll see if it goes together. Um, But let's stand and pray just for a minute since you just sat down. Mm -hmm. Father, we just thank you that um, our motive this morning in this place is you. God, that we are here just to gather around you. Not for a program, not to just execute a service, but to sit with you, to be with you, to hear from you, to encounter you. God, I pray that you would just stretch our hearts in a way that we couldn't do on our own, Father, but in a heavenly way that calls us to this deeper place of meaning and purpose as the expression of Jesus in the earth. God, give us grace, give us wisdom, and just give us your heartbeat this morning, Father. We trust you and we love you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, I want to read a passage and ask a question. I will say this um, out of the gate that a couple of things I want to share this morning I've taught on for sure, at least in the last year, so this might be a little bit of truth on repeat, but truth on repeat is really good for us. Amen? Um, I'm convinced that if we do the basics well that Jesus called us to, it has the biggest impact. And so truth on repeat is good. But I want to read this passage, Proverbs 18.10. It says this. I'm going to look at the screen with you. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Everybody say safe. Safe. One more time, safe. 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 Okay. If the Lord is safe, here's the question. How safe is the church? How safe are we? Not just for ourselves, for our own benefit, but also for those outside of the quote church. If the Lord is safe, and I'm going to um, talk about safety in just a second, how safe are we? How safe is the church? Is the church a safe place? Okay. Um, Here's what safe doesn't mean. Safe doesn't mean compromise. It doesn't mean um, unchallenged or necessarily risk-free. It doesn't mean that things are always easy. In fact, good change often comes through hard things. Okay? Um, and safe doesn't mean that we won't be vulnerable in some sense in a place of safety. So safe doesn't mean um, that everything is just easy. And I want to say it this way, just because we are safe, sometimes safety means that people are safe, but not everything is safe, okay? Um, here's why I'm going to build around this uh, thought a little bit this morning, because I know that sometimes when we use a term like safe, it's easy to think compromised for the church to be a safe place for people. We often think that means we have to forfeit something that we stand for so that those people can feel safe. I don't believe that's true. Jesus was safe, humanity was drawn to him, they felt good around him, not so much the religious side, but the broken side, quote unquote, felt really safe around Jesus, enough that they would come to him by the thousands just to hear what this safe man from Galilee had to say, but Jesus certainly challenged everyone too. So he didn't compromise truth, he didn't compromise mission, he didn't leave people where they were, but people were always safe. But people can be safe, that doesn't mean that everything is safe. Okay. When I'm in the presence of the Lord, I know that I'm safe. Now if I have an addiction and I'm in the presence of the Lord, I know that I'm safe, but my addiction might not be safe. Right? There's grace for it, there's mercy for it, but he's ultimately trying to press it out of me. Invite me into something deeper, amen? How many you guys feel safe right now? <laughs> you got a very unsafe look on your face. But if God is safe, if His name is associated with safety, how safe is His name in the church? And is the church reflective of that same level of safety to the world around us? Here's why, I don't know why this is so on my heart this morning, um, but I've, I've just seen... Um, multiple times just in the last couple of months how many great leaders have kind of fallen or in the news right now. And it's kind of the age-old narrative. You know, guys in the church get big and they fall and they had a sin issue. And here's what a safe church doesn't look like. Safe church doesn't celebrate when someone falls. Right? It's not exciting when we see someone fall. Safe church doesn't go, I told you so. <laughs> right? That's not what safe church does. But could it be that the biggest issue, actually, uh, not to excuse anyone, but sometimes I wonder if it's someone's sin that was the greater issue or the fact that we live in cultures where we're not safe enough. And so we fall really hard because we're not safe enough to fall soft. Think about this. Where could a leader, and this isn't just for leaders this morning, this is for whosoever. Where could a leader go in the church and say, hey man, I'm struggling. Is the church safe enough for that? I think Dusty mentioned it this morning. Is the church safe enough for us to be human and still follow Jesus? Because I think that's what a safe church looks like. A safe church um, looks like a church where people can hurt but heal. They can be human but still follow Jesus. And that's okay. But could it be that in the culture of church which should be the most safe place, again, if it's like him, it should be safe, a place where people could run to and find refuge. Could it be that the very culture of the church is one of the problems we have when it comes to people falling, when it comes to people fleeing, when it comes to people not overcoming something because simply they just don't feel safe enough to bring it in? Can I just say this this morning? I want us to be a really safe church for one another, and for the world around us. Amen? Why? Because that's what Jesus looked like. He was safe for them, and he was safe for the world around him. Still challenging, still upholding truth, but super safe, right? Okay, one more time, say safe. That's what pastors do. They tell you say stuff all throughout the sermon. Um, Okay, I want to read a passage here. This is the truth on repeat I've taught on before, so just bear with me and pretend you've never heard it. John 8, 3-11. through 11. And this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. I'm just going to read it first. It says, The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, um, not very safe, just to point out, and, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. Um, I, I just want to point out, it's interesting that really their concern wasn't with the woman getting well or being made whole. Their whole motive was to trick Jesus. So that's interesting. That's not safe church, by the way. Um, okay. Where we at? Verse six. They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he was writing. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Still don't know what he's writing. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing. There, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go and leave your life of sin. So here's a really safe place for a woman. It started out unsafe, but it became safe because of the way that Jesus responded. And even in that safety, he still dismisses uh, dismisses her and gives her this challenge of go and leave the thing that you're holding on to. Okay, so he's safe, but there's challenge. Okay, so you can be safe, but your thing's not always safe. Okay, everybody good with that? Now, here's the thing that um, drives me a little bit crazy: these guys did not care about her. Um, they were probably excited to catch her. This is probably their dopamine fix for the week because it was probably normally a witch hunt in that culture under the law. I mean, every time they found someone, I'm sure they got a little bit excited. But that wasn't even their motive. Restoration wasn't the challenge. They probably, on some level, didn't even really care about her, quote, sin issue. They just wanted to trip up Jesus. And here's what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to swing really hard left or really hard right. How do I know that? Because, um, the challenge with this passage is uh, Rome had already made it illegal for the Jews to execute such punishment. So they couldn't do it anyway. That's why they couldn't crucify Jesus and had to go to Pilate uh, to get the deed done. But they knew they couldn't do it anyway. So there were two options here in their mind. One is he denies that's, that's what the law says. And now we've got basis to accuse him and just wreck his whole world. Or option B, he says let's stone her, and now he's in with Rome and they'll crucify him for breaking their law they had no idea there was another option they thought Jesus is gonna swing really hard left or he's gonna swing really hard right but they had no idea that there was a messy middle that set slightly above the whole spectrum that they were doing life on and this is why she was safe because to Jesus it wasn't an issue of right and it wasn't an issue of left. And oftentimes, I want to fix this verse because I can hear my Southern Baptist roots screaming this in my ear right now as the advocate. Sometimes, when we think about the messy middle, we go immediately to the letter to Laodicea and we think, hey, if you're not lukewarm, or you're, if you're lukewarm and not hot or cold, God's mad at you. Can I tell you, you cannot misapply that verse to everything that's in the middle. Some things are in the middle because that's where they belong, in the mystery of the lordship of Jesus. And they're not a right-left issue, not a hot or cold issue. Sometimes Jesus is just standing there in the wreckage of us holding stones, just saying, hey, trust me. This is one of those moments. They thought he's going to swing hard left, or he's going to swing hard right. Either way, we got him, but they didn't have him because they didn't consider another option. They wanted to see how Jesus was going to react to the thing, right? Can I tell you, um, very cautiously and safely this morning, we live in a culture. It's not new, but it's certainly accelerated. We live in a culture where the world, probably with some bad motives, but also with this groan of creation, Is bringing a lot of things to the people of God. Not because they really maybe care about the thing as much as they just want to see how we respond to it. And what we see the church do more often than they should is swing really hard left or swing really hard right. Rather than swing kingdom. Kingdom is safe. If you swing left or swing right, and I'm not talking just about politics this morning, so please don't. Go there. Even, uh, anyway. It's bad language to exclude politics, but stay with me. If you swing really hard left or really hard right, that means you just made one side unsafe. Now, let me say this, because <laughs> I, I love these talks. Um, man, because I, I love it. We start talking, you just use the terminology left or right, and we're like, ooh. And I know what you're doing. You're trying to figure out, am I a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> I know. See, my first is my first day as pastor here, but it's not my first day in general, guys. Kingdom spectrum is a different spectrum. And if we get trapped on just one side of thinking or the other, first off, that narrative only really works well in America, <laughs> by the way. I don't know if you know, uh, our government's not the reflective of the rest of the world, so it changes. Um, but if we get stuck on one side or the other, we're automatically excluding and making one side of our mission feel unsafe. We're automatically breaking unity with people who we might completely disagree with about their thing, but we weren't called to make everything safe. But definitely, people should be safe. If I'm going to love someone the way that he loved me, that means I might not like the thing, but I still have to love them. And this is what Jesus modeled and mastered so well. He's doing it in this passage because to Jesus This was not just a little political stunt or strategy to expose which side someone's on. This was a daughter in the wreckage of a cultural war, a political war, a religious war, who just simply needs to know the Father. And every single side, no matter which one it is, all needs the same thing. And that is what Jesus really looks like. Here's what it means to be a safe church. Um... If we're going to be a church that's safe, we have to be a church, hear me out, where love comes first. I told this story, it might have been my first Sunday here that I spoke. So it's been long enough that you won't remember. So pretend this is today's manna. But when, uh, I think it was the first time, our oldest daughter got sick. Um, she was just barely walking and she was like sick to the point she's wearing it sick you know like it's just all over her face not to be gross but kind of and I remember sitting on the couch she's uh, standing in the living room floor and she's just like bleeding sickness and she turns around and she looks at me and holds her arms out And I don't mind sickness. I'm not a germaphobe, but I am a grossophobe. I don't like gross stuff, and so, kind of, maybe for a split second, had that hesitation of, "Oh, this is about to get, on, you know, on me." But not really. Everything in me that loved her overshadowed everything that could have gotten on me. And so, what was my response? My response was my arms open too. She comes, I embrace her, it gets all over me. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else except in that moment with her. Why? Because I was not thinking about her sickness, I was thinking about her. I wasn't afraid of her symptoms because I was obsessed with her. Now, here's why. I love her because she is my daughter. I'll always love her and embrace her because she's my daughter, right? Um, when, when, let me take it a little further. When my daughter's sick, the last thing I'm going to do is scold her and yell at her for being sick. Why? Because that's not the cure for sickness. What's a good dad going to do? He's going to embrace his daughter, who has symptoms. You understand what Jesus was doing in this story? was not reacting to the symptoms of humanity. He was reacting to the daughter. He didn't just see a woman caught in adultery. He saw a daughter who had a thing. Therefore, his response was love-driven. It wasn't performance driven. It wasn't condition driven. It was love driven. In fact, we know this verse very well that for God so loved that he sent a son. So love came before the sending. That means there was a value statement, which means love really does come first. Now the world that God so loved was not the world that had been reconciled to quote Jesus. It wasn't a Christian world. It was a world that was broken, had plenty of beauty, but nevertheless, it was this tension of a humanity that was completely lost. Murderers, liars, thieves, adulterers, all of the above, God looked down in the middle of that condition and said, I love them so much that I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. Which means he was never going to come and respond any other way. So when they bring this woman to Jesus, he's not seeing Just the symptoms of a sick girl. He's seeing a daughter who needs to be embraced. And they never saw that option coming. Never. Hmm. Here's the challenge I think we face. And one of the ways we make church unsafe. And not to dig into it too much this morning, but... If you go and study this passage out, it's it's really just kind of a mess because although they're acting on the law of Moses, they've left some very convenient parts out like where's the dude at? Where are the witnesses at? Like they didn't bring the whole shebang together to even have a trial. But again, they weren't trying to fix anything. They were trying to trip up Jesus. But here's the challenge. And this is one of the things we have to face in the church and I think we have to get good at talking more about They had the right truth contextually. Let me, let me reduce it down to this. Not so much the stoning part, because that one's a little bit shady, uh, depending on some variables. But let me reduce it down to at least one part. Adultery wasn't good. Okay, right truth. Minimize it to that. The law of Moses says, man, this is just not a good thing, Jesus. What do you say? They have the right truth. Everybody say right truth. The right truth. But they have the wrong way. Truth was rarely ever the issue for God's people. The way was always messed up, though. That's why Jesus comes and he's the truth, but he's also the way. He's the way and the truth and the life. But I promise you, we never produce real life when our truth doesn't match the right way. You can have the truth of uh, the father, but the way of an abusive father, and it will never work in your life. You can have the right truth, but the wrong way, and Jesus shows up, and he's the right way. That's why they didn't consider this option, that for the first time, the right truth was mixed with grace. The law came through Moses, the Bible says, but what came through Jesus? Grace and truth, and grace came first. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your truth is. If your way is broken, you don't even have a conversation, and it falls to the ground. So the second we divide and get trapped on just one side of an argument or another without a healthy way to approach truth leaves us completely ineffective. Can I just say this? Like We live in a world that if we fall into the trap of just sitting on one side and screaming our opinions, we will be the most useless church in history. Because it doesn't do anything except entertain those who already agree with us. Right, But if we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, then maybe in that journey of giving ourselves away and learning someone else's story, uh, maybe in that journey we can unfold truth. Because I do believe truth is a path to wholeness. I do believe, like the Word says, that truth sets us free. But unfortunately, our way uh, to articulate and to display truth is so off of his character sometimes that at best it's a good bumper sticker but the world's not changing from it. Why? Because the truth's not the issue. It's usually the way that's broken. And Jesus comes and He is this way and people felt safe without compromising truth. Here's what Jesus didn't do that they had done. If we're going to be a safe church, like God is a safe place, then what we can't do is weaponize truth and throw it at people. Truth is for building. You could build with it or you can weaponize it and tear people down. Very symbolic. They're standing there. They've got each a stone in their hand ready just to lay waste at Jesus' word. And here's the issue. It probably represents the stone and the truth that they themselves were struggling with. They've weaponized the very thing that should set someone free. The second it becomes a weapon is the second that it becomes destructive and people aren't safe. Right truth, wrong way, right? How many people feel safe in the church of Jesus? Safe to come in, both within the church and outsiders coming in the church? How many people feel safe to come in here and be the most raw expression of humanity that they are? I mean, think about it, guys. One of the biggest reasons people are outside the church is because of judgment, criticism. And it's not just in like the Uber, dare I say, King James only suit wearing churches. Like those are kind of the obvious ones. But it's something that we, I think we just all struggle with, right? But we got to be a safe church because he's a safe God. Again, safe doesn't mean there's not change. It just means that there's a safe passage to change, right? But we've got to have not just the right truth. We have to have the right way that looks like Jesus. And here's how you know. Are you throwing rocks? Have you weaponized truth? Are you building people up? Or are we tearing others down because they're on the other side of something? Is this okay this morning? Thanks, John. Before we move on, let me say this. Jesus, maybe this is part of what the way looks like. Jesus obviously taught right from wrong. There was always this clear separation on so many things. He taught right from wrong, but he modeled loving those who were wrong. He didn't draw a line and fence them in and say, all right, don't touch these guys. Don't go over there, don't associate with these guys. The only people he ever had that kind of tension with were the ones who were representing God the wrong way. But the world itself was being drawn to him by the droves, finding healing, finding wholeness, finding value. They're being literally set free from the paradigms they've been confined to because the way Jesus was displaying the true heart of the Father. He drew the lines of right and wrong, but he loved those who were, quote, wrong, according to truth. Right? Could it be that our biggest mission isn't to convince the quote, I had a lot of quotes today, uh, the, the quote other side of our truth as it is to love them. And in that journey, let truth emerge. Man, that's hard. Because that's the long play. It's not the quick fix. Okay? Here's a, another passage I want to read. Luke 5. we're going to be a safe church we have to be a church where the unclean are embraced and not shunned quote unclean luke five twelve 12-14 it says while jesus was in one of the towns a man came along who was covered with leprosy when he saw jesus he fell with his face to the ground and begged him lord if you're willing make me clean Now here's what's interesting. This guy who culturally society would have shunned as unclean. It was dangerous to be in a certain proximity. You can only get so many feet within a person like this that had to be separated, right? This guy sees Jesus and he felt safe enough. Somehow he associated Jesus with hope. He sees Jesus coming. He associates Jesus with hope, and maybe stop there for a second. Do people associate the church of Jesus with hope or criticism? You don't have to answer, just think about it. Do people on the outside looking in associate the church with hope? Do they look and say, ah, oh, relief, hope, a chance, a safe place? See, this guy saw Jesus and felt safe enough to go up and ask for help. He wouldn't have asked anyone else this question because he already knew the answer. He knew the way. But here's a different way in the earth. Someone's modeling something different. And he felt safe enough with this different guy to come and say, hey, could you please Now, partially because I'm sure the testimonies and the word had spread about his ministry and the lame walking and all that good stuff. But still, even though he had this idea that here's a man kind of from God, like he kind of would have been the guy who kept the unclean away by following the law. He felt safe with Jesus. Safe enough, safe enough to come and say, hey, would you please help me? Man, what a different approach. You know what it makes me think of? The time when Adam falls, the one time. um, And instead of running and asking for help, they ran and hid in shame. See, an unsafe church reinforces the idamic nature. It causes people to hide their stuff because they're not safe enough to be in with their stuff. And so instead of running to, they hide from. And that's why people usually fall hard when they could have... Lean soft. If the church is safe, there's room for people to be messed up and God to be a healer and make things whole, right? This guy felt safe enough to come to Jesus. Let me keep reading. Jesus reached out his hand, verse number 13. He reached out his hand, he touched the man, and said, I am willing, be clean. Now, here is a shocking moment. Jesus reached out his hand. And touched the man. I'm sure the crowd around him gasped. I'm sure the disciples probably stepped back just a little bit. Create some space. Because Jesus just got dirty. Because you can't touch these people. Jesus is touching someone that spreads. He touched something that was unsafe for him. And could it mean that sometimes creating a safe space for the world around us means losing a sense of our own safety? Because to go to the other side that's unclean and touch them means I've got to get enough proximity to them that I can actually have a connection. To touch means, uh, I wrote it in here, I want to tell you exactly what it means in the Greek, so I do not lie. It means to attach oneself to. How interesting. Let me ask you this. When we look at the, again, quote, unclean, someone on the other side. Are we in a safe box viewing or have we actually attached ourselves to their story? This is what Jesus was doing. Now, just to be clear, getting in proximity and being close enough to touch doesn't mean that I become the thing that I am touching, even though that's what they were all afraid of, right? Right? But what was in Jesus was greater than what was on the man. So Jesus was never worried about his symptoms getting on him. It was the symptoms of Jesus that was getting on this man. And for far too long, the church has looked at the unclean, and we've been so paranoid about being associated or being close enough that we're just going to get tainted to. And I'm not talking about boundaries. That's super important. But sometimes it's just an excuse to keep ourselves in our safe box while everyone else is unsafe, and that is just not what Jesus is. Jesus touches this man. And he's touching something that spreads. Not a safe touch for Jesus. I'm careful just how I word this, but sometimes we've got to be willing to be criticized to really know what it means to touch those Who need a safe place. Remember you hear this in the gospel. Jesus was criticized for being the guest of a sinner. Imagine that. He got close enough. Now they're getting set free. The Pharisees don't care about that. Remember. Religion doesn't really care. Bad religion doesn't really care about that. They're just excited that you're doing it wrong. Right? They're just swinging hard to one side. Well you got to do it this way. Their whole goal is to just say, We're doing it wrong. You're too close. Jesus was so close that it was dangerous. It wasn't just dangerous for Jesus, because if this man hadn't got healed, now Jesus would have been contaminated, which means the disciples would have been in trouble. Everyone would have had to quarantine. This was not the most safe move for Jesus. Let me finish reading it. He said, I'm willing to be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Here's what I think we have to do, especially in our time right now, is we have to model something more than we talk about something. Right? We have to show a way more than we just talk about a way. That's who Jesus was. Uh, let me say it like this. We, ha- we have to be proactive so that we're not just reactive. See, we, we can't be the church, because this is an unsafe church. We can't be the church who's just living in reaction to what the unclean are spreading. And calling that standing for truth. If we're just living in reaction to what the unclean are, quote, spreading, that means we're probably not not living the model that we're called to live. Jesus was responsive, but he wasn't reactionary. He was never surprised. He was never worried. He was never insecure at the presence of a leper or a dead guy or a woman caught in adultery. It didn't shake him. It didn't change who he was according to the Father. It didn't change who the Father was. According to heaven, it didn't didn't change anything about Jesus' paradigm. But what it was, was a moment that the love of God and the model of the kingdom and the culture of heaven could be released and seen to a world that was desperately picking sides, but never changing. Because life and hope's not just on one side of opinion or the other. It's only in Him. And the last thing we can do is weaponize him and make church an unsafe place. Amen? Hold on, we got more. Hmm. Last one, I'm going to tell you a story and I hope I get this right to do them justice, but if we're going to be a safe church, we have to Be a church where doing the right thing doesn't get tired. Let me say it like this. When we know we're doing what we should be and it doesn't seem to be working, keep doing it anyway. There was uh, a friend of mine and... He's an itinerant minister, and for years had this guy travel with him. And I'm probably going to butcher this story, but I can guarantee it's 95% accurate. The other 5% are in a safe church. So I'm... But this guy traveled with him for years, and this guy's testimony was crazy because the guy came from a mob family, um, real well-known mob family. Um, and that was his whole life. That was his paradigm. That's what he knew. And somehow or another, this guy married a woman who was just of the faith, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fire-walking, like just believer. I don't know how they met. I don't know what site it was on. um, But, you know, one of those mafia Christian dating sites where they, just somehow they met. And um, I'm glad the kids aren't in here because this is a little graphic, so forgive me. But we need to, I need to paint the picture. Um. But it was routine for this guy to have his friends over and commonly do several hundred dollars a day in cocaine and uh, just live what that whole life is, running prostitution rings and all of the above. And while all these guys were in the house doing their thing, this woman would faithfully be in the kitchen making refreshments for the fellas, but also just praying in faith day after day, night after night, for these guys on the other side of the wall. And often, they would get wind of it and kind of pick on her and tease her a little bit. Oh, here she goes. You know, like, um, you know, kind of making light. But she kept going. And this is how graphic it was, and this is why I'm glad no kids are in here. Though. I want you to see how dark the other side can be sometimes about how faithful the Lord is. One, one time, this guy says that he had beaten his wife so bad that he thought he killed her and here's how hard he was instead of figuring out is she okay or being like what have i done he said his first reaction was to make it i'm not making this up to make a sandwich and then figure out what he's going to do with the body this is the world this guy's coming from now this is his world her world's on the other side um, prophesying, speaking faith, praying, pleading to God, like the whole nine yards. So you've got light and dark. You've got two worlds colliding in the same house. Now, I want to be clear this morning if you're in one of those settings, run, get out. She probably should have. We have a testimony today, but certainly don't use that as a model to stand in an abusive situation. Just got to say that. But she stayed. She prayed. And over time, The joking turned into curiosity. And it then became an invitation. Hey, why don't you come in here and tell us about Jesus? You know, kind of in a teasing way. And she'd come in and share the gospel on some level. Long story short, one by one, every single one of these dudes gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. This dude ends up traveling with this dude for two decades, doing ministry all over the world. And the catalyst was a woman on the other side who was doing the right thing and just simply didn't quit. I'm sure week after week, when nothing changed, she probably wanted to quit. And again, in a healthy context, she probably should have. She probably should have ran and fled and never looked back. That would be my advice to her. But she didn't, and she prayed, and she prayed some more, and she prayed some more. If we're going to be a safe church, we have to stand on what is good, and we have to keep doing it even when it doesn't seem to be changing, and even when it's that dark. Remember, we don't wrestle against people. We wrestle, wrestle against principalities and powers. And here's what's true. Truth will set people free, but it is a weapon to principalities and powers. But it's not supposed to be a weapon to people. This passage in Galatians, it says this, it says, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers and sisters, is someone... No, 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 not that one, sorry. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, the clean and the unclean, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So we're saying, hey, put a little extra on it for the church, but this is for everybody. But don't stop. What if, you know what I'm asking the Lord right now in this season? God, with a world that's so volatile and weird and just ever-changing, where do we even focus? Where do we put our energy? How do we even approach this? What's the right conversation, God? What's the thing that's going to get through in a world that's not listening? And all I can think of is just keep doing the right thing that you know to do. Not swinging hard to one side or the other. Not swinging hard on your opinions. Even if your opinion is, quote, right. It's not about you being right. It's about the way that you engage the world around you. Because if that's off, it doesn't matter if you're right or not. Because there's no conversation. There's no ear that's listening. And somehow Jesus comes. And without compromise without changing the truth, without watering anything down. He is a force of nature. He saw more miracles than anyone. He literally drew all streams to the same table in a way that no one else has ever done. And Jesus comes and somehow was this really fierce but super safe option that no one had ever encountered. And when I think of that passage where it says, That the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, I immediately think of Jesus. The name that's above all names that the righteous can run to and have a place of safety. I think in the church, we need to be a safe place where people can be real, they can be authentic, they can be challenged, but we can be a mess. And still pursue the Lord. And watch God take our mess and make something beautiful. But I also think that we have to be a church who's safe for the world around us to come and ask for help. And that's the hurdle right now. Right? I can come and say, hey, I just associate you guys with hope. I don't know why, I just feel safe around you. Could you help? Could you help me right now? And that's what I'm praying into right now. God, give us that grace. Give us that kind of just anointing to be a safe place for the world around us. Amen? Father, I just pray um, over our hearts, God. And God, I just, I just pray over a church who, very much like that scene, are standing with the crowds around them who are just trying to trick us into swinging hard one direction or the other. And God, as tempting as that can be sometimes, and as easy as I wish it were sometimes, God, I can't shake this conviction of just standing in this messy middle, slightly above the argument that is called kingdom. And God, I acknowledge that what's hard to stand in this position is it doesn't come with a rule book or a handbook. It comes with this very stable truth and anchor, but a very flexible approach. But Jesus, when I look at you, that's what I see. I see a God who is firm. But fluid. A God who can literally hold the world together. While standing with a woman caught in adultery. God who could somehow draw people who felt safe but left changed and if God if that's what your name represents then God let us be a church that represents the same thing God, let us be a church in the city of Charlotte. Let us be a church in our homes. Let us be a church for one another who represent a safety that gives mercy and grace and passage to become the sons and the daughters that we are. God, let this generation and the world around us see a different way than maybe any of us have seen, except in you. And I know it's risky, God. I know it's risky to stand in the middle of mystery and unknown. But you're the God who touches lepers. And there's not much more risky than that. God, last, I just want to pray, God, over anyone here this morning or listening online, that maybe are in that tension of hiding in shame, not feeling safe. God, I just pray for your grace and mercy to give them a safe place so that we can learn to calm and not flee. And last, here's what it requires. To function this way, and to stand in that middle, is it requires me to trust you, God, to keep doing the good thing long enough, and to keep trusting you with the outcome. And we love you. Amen. Awesome. Hey, um, as we dismiss, we have some prayer teams up here this morning. Um, that I'm confident to say are a safe place. So please utilize that place of safety if you need someone just to journey with you. Um, On a side note, Super Bowl next week. Cowboys aren't playing, sorry. T-Pain, but that's just how it worked out. Um, Would love for you to come and hang out with us. So be blessed. Have a good week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.